Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode, I speak with Kim Lee, CEO and co-founder of Prime Roots. Kim was a great guest, and we had a wide-ranging conversation about product development, plant-based diets, and the effects of the COVID pandemic on her business. We also talked about her experience fundraising in the CPG space during the pandemic. After studying food science and technology at UC Berkeley and graduating magna cum laude, Kim started looking for a way to put her degree to use. She looked back to her childhood and started playing with an ingredient her family used to cook with regularly. The ingredient she started innovating around was koji, a fungus commonly used in Asian cooking that also happens to have many health benefits like being high in protein. She decided to found Prime Roots using this ingredient to make a delicious line of plant-based meat alternatives, starting with bacon. This conversation was very insightful to me and really opened up the world of plant-based meat substitutes that companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods are riding to success. It's a huge and growing market that is really just starting to take off. Kim was a fantastic guest, and I expect to continue to see great things from her and Prime Roots. Yeah, hey, Kimberly, how are you doing today? Good, Ken, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to jump on. Where, where am I finding you? I'm at our office in Berkeley, California. Okay, yeah, I love uh, I love California, I love the Berkeley area. How's the weather these days? It was pretty gloomy today, but it's pretty normal morning for us in the Bay, a little cloudy and overcast, so should be sunny and um, 70s probably today, so it'll be a good day. Well, I love San Francisco and that whole area. I had a brother who, who lived there for, for quite a few years and my family likes to go visit. We had some fires. We got a lot of smoke here in Utah from fires there in sort of Northern California. Was that close to you at all or did you, were you guys affected by that? So we weren't affected because the wind was blowing it away from us, I guess, towards you all in Utah, but mm -hmm. it was actually pretty close. I'd say probably like an hour and a half away and I mean, there's fire maps you can look up. The world is basically on fire all the time, which is really mm -hmm. sad. And but also you know, very motivating for what we do as a company, trying to make our planet a little bit better off. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I definitely want to jump into that, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of the motivation behind, behind your products and, and your company. But why don't we just uh, kick it off by hearing a quote from you? Is there one that you have in mind that's been impactful to you or that motivates you? Yes, I am a really big Star Wars fan. I actually found it later in life, like after college. Um, nice. I watched the whole I watched the whole trilogy in one go because I was really sick one week. And the one quote that has stuck with me, I, I knew the quote beforehand because who hasn't heard a fair amount of Star Wars quotes? But my favorite quote is from Yoda. It's uh, do or do not. There is no try. And it really spoke to me and really is how I live my life and how I run Prime Roots and just very emblematic of who I am. And so I love that quote because it's really about giving your all 
and really just making the most of, of your time and your energy. Right, right. And as a dad, I may have been uh, known to quote that to my kids on occasion. So <laughs> I love yes. that quote as well. <laughs> it's ageless and timeless. Yep, yep. So let's hear just a little bit about your background. Where are you from? What did you study in school? And maybe uh, that could lead us to the founding of, of Prime Roots. Yeah, I was born um, in the Canadian prairies many years ago. And I was born into a family where food was really the center of our universe. My mom is a professional chef. And throughout my whole life, I've been very embedded into restaurants and hospitality and started working when I was 11 years old, kind of running back office, learning kind of the ins and the outs of the business, got into management before going to college, really didn't realize how strange of a childhood I had but really got to see intimately like how food came to be and how people interacted with food. And food has just been central to my family from the very beginning. And I, I mean, I'm still doing it today in a very different way, of course. But mm -hmm. I think that looking backwards and connecting the dots, kind of the formative years of, of learning to cook with my mom and then going to college, I went to Berkeley a very big school, study a lot of different things. And I fully took advantage of that and studied microbiology, which was really part of the inspiration for starting Prime Roots is combining kind of my love for science with my passion for culinary and food and just learning that, you know, the meat that we eat, protein is one of the biggest environmental impacts that we have as humans on our planet was very motivating to kind of combine all of my passions and skills to create a, a solution that works for people like me who eat meat and want to keep eating meat, but don't want it to have such a negative effect on the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. Right, right. Yeah, just a quick question. Did do you think that, did you know how good you had it, you know, having a, a mom as a professional chef? Did you Did you realize that early on? Did you realize that was you know, not what everybody experienced? No, um, I think I, I never really put two and two together when a lot of people wanted to, you know, come over to my house to eat or <laughs> I just took it for granted, honestly. It's like, you know, it's, it's easy to do when that's your whole world. And I realized it was very strange going to college and like, you know, being one of the only people who like knew how to cook. And I love hosting people over at my house and cooking. So no, I, I didn't realize how strange it was until you know after when you experience other facets of life. <laughs> I bet people loved being your roommate, um, I'm guessing in college. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a few roommates that would, uh, you know, work in restaurants and stuff. And that was great just because they'd bring home stuff, you know, and so there was just always good, good food around, but uh, even better if you can make it. And uh, so that, that's pretty great. So, so what did you study in college again? Uh, what did you say that you studied? I studied a fair amount of things, but one of my main concentrations was in microbiology. And so really looking at the things that people don't usually see. And it was a lot of inspiration for actually what we do at Prime Roots, which is we use koji, which is a traditional Japanese fungi. And we grow it in a way where it replicates the texture of meat. And it's completely a whole food protein, all natural, all that good stuff. And it's really like, you know, we're making a better 
product that doesn't have all the chemicals and doesn't have a lot of the baggage that the traditional plant-based industry has. I mean, it's okay. I have a product that I'm really excited about because myself as someone who does eat meat, I think that it will change the world and will change the hearts and the minds of lots of meat eaters. So as, as you were in college, did you know about Koji before? And were you thinking about, you know, different applications for this and potentially starting a company for it? Or, or what was, you know, your introduction to, to Koji and then kind of realizing that that, that might be a good idea um, to actually productize? Yeah, it's another one of those things that looking backwards and connecting the dots, I started growing koji with my mom and learning how to ferment foods when I was four or five years old. And we use koji. And so when kind of when we were starting to ideate around like different way, different types of ingredients we could use and how do we replicate the texture of meat and looking at like what makes the texture and the taste of meat, I was thinking about, you know, what what out there has that like fibrous texture, what has like the umami flavor of meat. And kind of part of that is like, hmm, like there's koji. It's like something I've worked with before. And so you kind of take inspiration and try things that you that are already in your toolkit. And koji was one of those things. So I can't say that, you know, I've been doing this since I was five years old, but I can definitely say that those formative uh, experiences in the kitchen, learning about the art of fermentation and now very much know the science of fermentation combining those two things is just a sweet spot for really stumbling upon and, and discovering how we could use this as traditional ingredient in new ways and so um and so were you thinking about starting a company did you have that in mind as you were studying in, in college or or when did that really become something that you wanted to do it was, I've always wanted to kind of control what I spent my time on, the impact that I had as an individual. And so I think entrepreneurship and having um, your own company is a great way to do that and direct your own energy towards like something that you can see come alive. And when it was actually very difficult for me, it was either choosing to pursue a PhD for 10 years and really dedicating my my brain and my energy towards solving you know the technical side of uh, the large food problems that I identified mm-hmm. and then or like you know using my skills and applying it to something that may or may not work and commercializing something that has really big immediate impact and I, I chose obviously the latter and yeah I, I just really excited about the ability to actually mobilize change with the actions that that me and my team take every single day and building something is just really exciting. And so that ultimately like why why I'm here today. Sure, sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm curious what you think about, you know, your geographic location, right? Being in the Bay Area and and in an area where entrepreneurship is so widely celebrated and, and encouraged. Do you think that that had an influence on you? Oh, a hundred thousand percent. I think a lot of entrepreneurship is also luck and resources and community. And all of those things kind of lined up for us. And, you know, we had the support and the encouragement of, of people who were friends and now some of our investors who were motivating us early in the early days to, you know, hey, just keep trying, like, keep going, you can do it. 
I mean, just as simple as someone saying like, no, like, I, I think this is a good idea is motivating enough to just keep going. Entrepreneurship, especially in the early days, is very lonely. And it is hard because you don't know if it's going to work or not work. And just being in the in the Bay where there is just this entrepreneurship buzz and, you know, everyone is an entrepreneur or wants to be an entrepreneur or it feels like it at least is, is very infectious. So I definitely attribute a lot of where we are today with location. Yeah, got it. Got it. So let's let's talk about, okay, so you know, you've identified Koji as, as, okay, this is a potential, a potential product. What was the, the first product you guys brought to market? You know, if you go to your website, you know, you guys have quite a few um, different SKUs uh, now, but what was, what was the first one? And then what were some of the initial steps that you took to get it off the ground? So our first product using the Koji that we commercialized was um, our bacon. And it's still um, our most popular product to date. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm vegetarian, except for bacon. It's just one of those. Bacon <laughs> is, is beloved by so many people. My little brother eats like a pack of bacon almost every single day. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, I, I personally am also a huge bacon fan. And there's just not very much out there in terms of plant-based bacon. So we identified this huge opportunity to go after a product that just really wasn't being served and started developing the bacon and launched that I think um, a little over a year ago at this point we did our first uh, product drop our first launch and when we launched it we sold out in four hours and it was uh, really exciting also around the time of the pandemic so it was also very difficult to actually get all of those products out to people initially. So it was a, a challenge, but uh, we're so, so happy that it was well-received and our community is has been really receptive to all of our launches since. Well, and I can, and I can vouch for it. You got, you were uh, gracious enough to send me um, some, some of this uh, bacon and some of the, the bacon bits and it's awesome. So I didn't know what to think when I first got it and what it, what to expect. But but it's great. I think I think it's a wonderful substitute for for bacon. Um, so. That's awesome. What did you make with it? You know, I'm probably closer to your brother, where I I eat a lot of bacon as well, and uh, I usually just like, you know, warming up some bacon in the in the oven or sorry in the microwave, and then just just eating it plain. So that's that's how I ate yours, and it's great. Yeah, so a midday bacon snack is is the way to go for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and I've been doing I've been doing keto, so you're you're always kind of looking for you know quick quick snacks that are easy that can um, kind of satisfy that craving, and and so uh, this was this was fantastic. So I actually want to dig into a little bit of um, how you made the product initially, how you, and then also I want to hear a little bit more about that product drop and what what the marketing strategy was was behind that. So, so you had the, the idea, you knew how to make this. Did you go to a co-packer immediately or, or how did you actually get your first batch of product? Good question. The, we do everything in-house. So we grow the koji, we turn it into the end products, into like the bacon. We even ship it directly to our customers' doors. So we li- really are like, you know, everything is done in-house and you know, kind of farm to table, if you want to think about it like that. And to go from 
the initial stages of of the the koji to the end product of it being like the bacon or any other products we make that process takes a matter of days not years to be able to get there so we actually like fundamentally just have rethought how can we make protein better more efficient and obviously like less environmentally taxing through that and so yeah we do everything in-house a lot of the a lot of the things that we do, we're the only people in the world who can do them or who, who have done them. And so it is difficult for us to be able to co-manufacture, but it's also part of like what makes us really unique and special because we, we are doing different things that result in a much better product. Yeah. Could you, could you dig into that just a little bit? So, uh, you know, I realized that you know, a lot of people listening to this may not know what Koji is and, you know, may not have any experience with it. What is it? And then how do you actually grow it? And, and, and you know, what's the process like to turn it into, you know, these, these delicious uh, bacon strips? Yeah, so Koji is a traditional Japanese fungi. It's been consumed in the human diet for over 10,000 years. So um, it's actually something that most people eat on or interact with or or like, you know, have on a daily basis, it's found a lot in um, soy sauce and miso. It's Koji is a, as an ingredient is something that we're, we were very fascinated by because Koji by itself, not grown on rice or on soy, which is how it's um, traditionally done, just Koji itself, like the, the fungi. And we like to think about them as like roots of mushrooms. So mm-hmm. it's actually very fibrous um, in nature. It's white in color. And if you want to kind of visualize it, it's kind of like when you tear apart a chicken breast, like there's like those like fibers. And so that's kind of like how koji looks and the way that we grow it. And we literally just grow the koji itself. It is grown in liquid. So it's pure, clean, and it's a whole food protein. And the koji does a lot of the work for us to actually make like the meaty textures and the flavors and what we do is we combine other ingredients such as plant-based fats and flavors and and colors just so we can replicate the look the feel and the whole experience of eating different types of meat so we're actually able to make much more than just bacon we can make bacon we can make seafood products and you know kind of everything in between and it all starts with the koji so hopefully that gives a little bit more color into koji and if anyone wants to find out more, our website does have more information, just primeroots.com. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So uh, you mentioned different types of meats. Have you guys considered, you know, what, what the next product lines might be? I see sausage on some of the pictures here. Do you guys currently sell a sausage? I believe we have the sausage inside, like one of our meal products. But we're always playing around with making a wide variety of different meats and seafoods. So yeah, a lot is in the works and we're excited to be launching more products in the near future. And what about, you know, like equipment and sort of the initial funding to, you know, build a facility or to, to rent out a facility? What, what did that look like in the beginning? So in terms of equipment, we use a lot of equipment that you would find in a commercial kitchen. So unlike a lot of uh, traditional plant-based processing or like meat-based processing, we don't have a lot of, you know, the heavy industrial machinery that makes something like ultra-processed. And so it is a lot more natural and artisanal the way that we make things. 
and you know actually make like the meat products uh, look like meat and feel like meat. In terms of like the facilities and initially getting up and running, because we did a significant amount of of research and development early on, and we need the facilities for that as well as to actually have the kitchen, the facilities to scale up. We did have to raise capital to be able to support those efforts. And then we have a great group of investors who have who bring a wide variety of experiences who are backing us and helping us um, to scale things up. So very, very fortunate for um, our investors and partners who help us uh, financially. Now, did you guys get, did you guys go after investment before you did your product drop or sort of at what stage did you decide that you needed to go get um, investors? Very early on. And a lot of investors were actually encouraging us and supporting us, like even in the the pre-company days before we had incorporated or even said like, hey, we're going to make this into a company. So when we were just doing a lot of the research and the, and the initial recipe testing, we had just a lot of, this is kind of part of being um, in the Bay Area where we were. It's just, there is a lot of support and resources out there to pr- even pre-incubate companies and ideas. So we're very fortunate to be able to have that support and we could do a lot of the initial testing without a lot of capital. And when we got to a point where we said, hey, like we're going to go in full time and really try to make this into um, a company is when we, we, we sought out our initial funding through an accelerator. So a lot of, I think accelerators and incubators are great uh, stepping stones. We chose to do IndieBio, which is a, a really infamous uh uh, they're primarily biology focused, but they do a lot of food tech. So a lot of companies like Perfect Day, Memphis Meats, a lot of companies who have very different approaches to how to tackle the issues in the food system. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of companies that we all know today did come from IndieBio. So we have very similar starts. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, plant-based and even the the plant-based meats, you know, it's, it's kind of... Uh, it's a sector that's that's experiencing a lot of growth. There's a lot of interest in it. You see what some of these companies like Beyond Meat have been able to do. What 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 is your thought about you know I guess that that industry in general after um, you know successfully raising raising money? How do uh, investors look at this and you know what what's sort of their, their worldview on on this category of product? I think that. The reception over the past few years has definitely shifted as people form their theses and understanding of like why the industry exists. And so I think that people are a lot more receptive today than they were, you know, four or five years ago when we started. And it, it is really exciting because, you know, we, there is a climate crisis going on and this is, uh, I mean, not just the problem of animal agriculture, but there are many climate related issues that, can't just get swept under the rug and that can, you know, company-based initiatives and interventions that can really help. So I'm excited to see that there is a whole new interest amongst the investment community in sustainable technologies and putting dollars to work where, you know, it's not just about fintech or uh, whatever the next new shiny object is, but people are actually starting to actually care as like people, individuals, and also where they put their money. Yeah, interesting. And so you talked a little bit about your product drop and said that uh, that you guys sold out within, what, four four hours? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So can you tell us just a little bit about what that looked like, what, what the strategy was and, and why you think it went so well? Uh, yeah, I think for we had been kind of just in R&D mode for probably three years before we actually said, hey, let's do a, a small launch of our bacon and see how it goes. And so we hadn't really done anything in terms of like marketing uh, or PR. Everything we had done was just people generally, genuinely like interested in what we did. And so I think at that point we had like over 10,000 people on our mailing list and we said, Hey, let's just do this, this limited time offering and see, you know, who, who's going to buy it Mm -hmm. and who wants to support this and who wants to try this plant-based bacon. And so we did a release and, you know, made it public, but also obviously going after our uh, mailing list and our community that we had built up. And I think, you know, it was really just having those very, very excited and passionate followers early on. And we had, we did a lot in terms of getting out into our community. We hosted a few like events kind of in the Bay Area beforehand. So knew a lot of people face to face and you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people came out and supported us. And then I think that was, I think that the main, the main driver was really just having people who were following our journey and who were really excited. Yeah, were these events in person? Yes, it was all pre-COVID days and we hosted different workshops and talks and people could learn about fermentation and fungi. And yeah, we used to host a fair amount of events and just be able to talk and sample and and get people's feedback. So uh, if there are people who are listening or who did come to our events, they got to sample before everything was uh, was officially released. So thank you um, to everyone who did. It was we we took all of the feedback from all of our like in person sampling and incorporated it into like making the first release product. And one of the reasons we love being um, you know focused on the customer experience and we only sell online today and and have are able to get that feedback as we're always able to iterate and make the product better directly with the support of, of like direct consumer feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point. Um, especially, you know, when you're talking about a startup, there are some huge advantages for trying to do this in house if you can, for as long as you can. And a lot of, you know, one of the biggest um, advantages is that you can iterate much quicker so you can get that direct feedback and, and the next batch that, that you create, you can uh, directly input it. So uh, is there any piece of, you know, is there any feedback that you got initially that you thought was, you know, especially helpful? Uh, I think all feedback is really helpful. And so we, we welcome positive and constructive feedback. It's really fascinating to see how, you know, something we, we had tested a lot and done a lot of sampling to like could always be refined and the product can always get better so we're really committed to like making the best products so that means like always iterating and always making the products better with the feedback we get so there's a lot of things also that we learned early on that you just can't really learn by being on a shelf or by just not getting out there into the real world like how to ship products how you know how to have different sets of cooking instructions based on like the, based on the handling, based on the, I mean, 
even things like it was interesting. A lot of people wrote in, they're like, hey, like I'm at altitude. Like, how do I cook this product? Because the instructions don't work. And just thinking about all those things, like how to make the customer experience better. That's just something you don't get to do when you, unless the product is out there. Right, right. Yeah, those are some good points. Uh, you know, and one of the the, the ways that, that you're seeing a lot of people go to market these days in the food space is, is doing stuff like farmer's markets. And a lot of it is is for exactly what you're talking about, which is you get to be face-to-face with your customers and and uh, you can see their feedback. You could see their facial expressions, you know, when they taste uh, mm-hmm. your product. So, uh, you know, it's not always the easiest thing to to receive uh, a feedback or, you know, to to have people critique, you know, your life's work. Uh, how, do, how do you approach it? Uh, and, you know, has that been something that, that you found difficult in the early days? You know, what, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, it's definitely been a learning curve about how to receive feedback and then transform it into actionable results. It is difficult to receive feedback, like you said, about your life's work. But I think that for me, like my life's work and like the reason we exist is to make a big impact. And so listening to feedback is so important. And feedback is just really a learning opportunity. And I think the... The, there was a really, really good TED talk that I watched early on that was very, very important for kind of like how I think about taking food feedback specifically. And then I think this is probably applicable to a lot of people building physical products. It's it's a TED talk that was given by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's he is actually talking about a man named Howard Moskowitz, who is um, regarded sometimes as like the, the father of modern sensory science. And he did a lot of work with uh, big companies and small companies alike to really like identify like how do you do sensory testing how do you understand what people really want and what he found was that he's he's the one that like basically had the insight that people don't really know what they want when they're like telling you or when you ask them you kind of have to read between the lines and and like be in front of people and ask the right questions so the best example which i love is if you ask like call it a hundred, call it a thousand people. How do you like your coffee? The majority of people will tell you that they want it like dark, a dark, deep, hearty roast. But in reality, as humans, we love sugar, we love fat and we love cream. And so in reality, what people really want is probably like a frappuccino or something that's creamy and light and sweet. And that's like, I mean, yes, there are people out there obviously who love their deep, dark, hearty roast, but to make a product that would sell really well, that's like very well received. And I, obviously Starbucks um, has done great with their frappuccinos. You know, people really want like sugar and cream. And and it's also, he, he realized that people don't like thin pasta sauces. They like thick pasta sauces with chunks in them. But if you like conceptually think about it, do you want a chunky pasta sauce or like a smooth, like clean pasta sauce? So it's just, that was a really enlightening TED talk. Highly recommend it. And so we take all of our the feedback, but we really think about like, okay, what what is the problem the customer really is trying to solve? What experience are they trying to have? And it's it's nice when you are also the consumer of the product. And like as someone mm-hmm. who eats meat, I can also say, okay, like it has to be like the experience of eating regular bacon. 
and kind of like thinking through, okay, like what, what are they really trying to say? So I think it's, um, it's, there's another, there's a book that I think is really good for product people. It's called the mom test. Um, same thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. yep. It's kind of like the product Bible for a lot of people, but like, how do you, how do you ask the right questions to get the right feedback and then read between the lines to be able to take those insights and turn them into actions. Um, you also can't listen to every single person or you will drive yourself nuts. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's, let's talk just, just for a second about shipping, you know, and I know we're getting close to time, but you know, obviously a a perishable product is is a tough thing to do direct to consumer. You know, what are some of the, the, the lessons around, around shipping and, and how you guys approach that? So we do all of our logistics. Uh, we use common carriers, but we do, you know, all of our fulfillment and packing in-house. And that also enables us to, you know, add in, you know, instructions and little things and little touches that you wouldn't get like going to a grocery store. But we handle everything in-house. We, we, we only ship from the West Coast. So it is difficult to get products to the East Coast. And, you know, as we scale, of course, we'll expand our distribution capabilities. But today it is difficult for us to get to the East Coast. So we just charge um, whatever the, the carriers charge us, which sometimes is a lot because it is a perishable product that needs to go pretty far and it's pretty heavy. Right. But with that being said, everyone always asks about packaging. And it's something that you know we care a lot about. Just the obviously the sustainability of the products overall. So we have fully compostable like liners, uh, uh, the ice packs can go into the drain safely. And so everything is either compostable or recyclable. So we are very proud that like we have reduced a lot of the the non-reusable, non-recyclable or non-compostable elements from entire product experience. Yeah, and I think anybody who's, you know, who who's looking at the space, you know, that's something that they really need to factor into their costs because mm-hmm all of that, you know, the ice and the, the insulation, all of that, you know, adds to, uh, to, to the bottom line, or I guess takes away from the bottom line. And so you, you just have to, to price it um, into your, into your product costs. And it's something I think that, that, you know, a lot of people are surprised, you know, by how much, how much it can be. What was there, you know, were you guys expecting uh, those type of costs or, or were you guys surprised as well? Or, or, you know, how did, how did you approach it? Did you hire somebody from outside to come in and, and advise you on this? Or how did you guys uh, think about it? I think we kind of knew what to expect going into uh, shipping. I think the thing that we did not expect and no one expected was really the impact that COVID would have on uh, the supply chain at large. And so just uh, when we initially launched the, I know like FedEx and UPS and USPS were just having such a hard time just getting packages on time to uh, people just in general. And there were huge shortages of, of workers and huge delays. So that was really difficult. And so navigating that was a, a big challenge. I think a lot of our shipping challenges have been more or less mostly all COVID related. A lot of companies do ship direct to consumer now and so we have a lot of knowledge that we can pull from and experience there okay great great well you know just last question before we jump into the the quick fire round you know what's uh what's next you know what's what are you guys looking forward to what's you know what what's next for prime roots 
Yeah, what's next is we are uh, really excited to be able to bring a lot more of our products to life. We've been working obviously very hard for a very long time on developing out the ability for the Koji to make a wide variety of products. So we'll have more products coming out at the end of this year and early next year. So that's going to be really exciting. And yeah, that's mainly the, the, the main focus right now is, is launching additional products. And how are you guys thinking about wholesale, you know, trying to get into some stores to make your product more accessible uh, to more people? Is that something you guys are currently pursuing? So we're definitely really excited about potential partnerships in all different conventional channels. So um, definitely interested looking into different opportunities and really trying to find the highest impact way of getting to our consumers who are, you know, Plexitarians who are people who may, uh, who still eat meat, but want to do better and are intentional about their food choices. So how do we get to that customer? How do we get to people like us who still eat meat, but who are excited about plant-based meats? So just really thinking about like, how, how do we do that? And it's been something that has been on my mind a lot. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's jump into the quick fire round. We've got just four uh, quick questions for you. What's one tool or resource um, that you feel has helped you a lot that you'd recommend to people? I don't know if people would say this, but uh, YouTube University, as I call it, and uh, Google Uh (laughs) are great resources. Whenever I have a question, it's usually the first place I go. And there's just the internet is such a treasure trove of knowledge. And on the flip side, I also love books. I think books just tell a story and like there's so much knowledge that isn't on the internet as well. So it's usually internet or the library for me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, yeah, YouTube university, that's a good name for it. I spend <laughs> a lot of time consuming YouTube videos and, you know, it's, it's generally not the cat videos or the, you know, people hurting each other videos, but it's, it's more of the educational type stuff. I, I find that there's just a ton of great stuff out there. <laughs> My YouTube recommendations are like cute dogs and cute cats and then lots of like <laughs> serious topics. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. So what's, uh, what's one book, you know, you, you mentioned that, uh, that you, you like, you like reading and you like consuming a lot of books. What's one book that you could recommend that's been helpful to you? I just started reading a book. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I'm loving it so far. It's called Ikigai. It's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. It's a Japanese word. And it's mm-hmm. really, it's like, it's a book about kind of finding what I would call like the bliss point in life and like mm. your life personally is. And so it's, it's about like, how do you spend your time and your energy and find things and do things that are the intersection of, you know, what you love, what you're good at and something that brings you purpose. And it's, it's been really exciting to read because it's like, I obviously doing what we do every day. I have like, I have never been able to like put a word to it. And I feel like Ikigai is like, uh, it's close. And so I've been kind of reading more about it. So highly recommend it. Haven't finished it, but it has been a great personal book. Okay. Awesome. Uh, what's one piece of advice that you would give to your 21 year old self? I would say trust your gut. A lot of the decisions and learnings that we've made that have been kind of against like my gut feeling have been what I would say wrong or have become learning experiences more than they've become decisions that have resulted in like the intended result. And that's really been just, you know, 
21 year old Kim kind of second guessing or doubting her own judgment. And so seeking out like the advice of others and not realizing that, hey, like you're probably the best person to like make this decision and you know all the different parts. So just trusting your gut and not necessarily going with like what experience says, although I think it's still really important to listen and to learn and to absorb. But at the end of the day, there's just something about entrepreneurship and trusting your gut that is so important that very people, people talk about. Right, right. And last question, who is uh, somebody in your field of work, I guess, in the world of physical products or entrepreneurship, or just somebody that, that inspires you in some way that you'd love to take to lunch? My mom. <laughs> I mean, I can, I should probably uh, take her to lunch more than I do and just talk to her more. And I think she's just such a huge inspiration. She raised, you know, four kids uh, while running a business, being a kick ass chef and amongst in a field of just like tons of old white men. And so I, I'm just so privileged to obviously be her daughter and know her. And I would love to just spend more time with my mom and talking about food, cooking with her. Because a lot of the inspiration for a lot of the things we do comes from my childhood. And I think there's just so much knowledge and experience that I would love to just download from my mom that you know, I, I think I now know the questions to ask and like the things that I'm struggling with that she can most definitely advise on. Well, very nice. Very nice. So if somebody wanted to contact you or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? You can reach out to Prime Roots and, and most things do get to me. Or I'm also on social media, uh, on Instagram or on Instagram or I, Joining our um, community and our, our email list at Prime Roots is a great way as well because we do share uh, bits and snippets of the journey. We are a small team, so you know I'm more than happy to answer questions via our yeah our website's really the best way. So primeroots.com, um, you can join our email list there, and then we're also on social media. Nice. And uh, do you have any parting? words or advice for uh, those people, uh, those of us who are in the, the physical products world, you know, maybe have a physical product or considering launching one, you know, any, any advice uh, for, for those in that situation? Just try it, just make it happen. I think for a lot with physical products is you do a lot of research and market research and all of that. But when it comes down to it, you have to have a physical product and you probably personally want that product. So make it for yourself, try it, love it, evangelize it and kind of grow it from there. So I'd say just, I mean, just a really solid uh, life philosophy that I have is just do it in general. So just make it happen. Yep. Brings us back to the opening quote, do or do not. Uh, there's no try. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Kim, this has been a wonderful interview. I appreciate you taking the time and look forward to getting this live and getting some feedback on this, but you've been an awesome guest and I appreciate you doing it. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. Have a great rest of your week. All right. You too. Thanks, Ken. Bye. All right. Yep. You're welcome. Hey, see ya. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, 
visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.